How will the world meet growing energy demand while reducing emissions? What technology, human capital, policy, and education is needed to making the energy transition a reality? What are the myths and hard truths about all forms of energy, our environment, and our economy? The Voices of Energy sets out to explore these questions with the people at the heart of making these changes a reality. We'll go from conversation to application by focusing on actionable strategies that will drive the world and our industry into a new era. I'm Katie Maynard, founder and CEO of Ally Energy, and this is the Voices of Energy. This is Katie Maynard with the Voices of Energy podcast, and today I am here with Maria Mores Hansen. She is on the board of Schlumberger, Alpha Laval, Scattech Solar. She previously held the position of Chief Operating Officer and Deputy CEO at Winterschall Dea, Chief Executive Officer at Dea, CEO for Angie EMP International, CEO of GDF Suez Norway, and Investment Director at Acker. She also held roles at Equinor and Norway Hydro in various roles. Maria received a graduate degree from the Norwegian University of Science and Technology and a degree from IFP School in Paris. Welcome, Maria, to do the podcast. Thank you. I'm really looking forward to this. Well, we're really looking forward to having you. So let's talk a little bit about your background before we get into some of these topics around the energy transition, which is a popular topic we like to talk about on the podcast. So your background is in petroleum economics. Why did you choose that field of study? First, I did petroleum technology, and then I got a scholarship from Total uh, to take additional studies in in France. And uh, what is now called IFP School, which is the French uh, Institute of Petroleum, they had a program in actually economics and management. But since they were uh, oil, gas, petroleum even automotive school, they did petroleum economics. So we learned things like um, optimizing refineries and, of course, uh, an enormous amount of investment analysis and, and those type of things. So it's basically like economics, but specializing in petroleum economics then. It's a fascinating uh, topic. So let's talk a little bit about getting into the C-suite. How did you get into so many roles? I was reading your bio and you've held numerous C-suite positions in large companies. Tell us a little bit about that. Yeah, what is it to say? I mean, so so I spent many years working in the oil and gas business, but in very different type of roles. I mean, so I started in Norskydro, which at that time had an activity within oil and gas. And I did a variety of roles, among them being an offshore installation manager at the troll field. And, you know, these big corporate, they move you around from position to position. And then I was tempted to go and become an investment director, uh, which was a great experience because, you know, suddenly I was working with financing companies, buying companies, starting up companies, merging companies. I guess at that time, I had quite a variety of experience. And then I was um, recruited to become the CEO of uh, what is today Angie's then upstream oil and gas activity in Norway. They had a big activity in Norway. So that was my first role. 
quite quickly, they took me to Paris to head up their whole upstream oil and gas activity, which was a separate company because it's um, it was 30% owned by the Chinese Investment Corporation. And from there, they recruited me to, to Germany, you know. So, um, and I think I have to say that, how to explain that, but, you know, it things happen. I don't think I ever actually thought about going there, but, um, you know, um, I, I tend to say yes when people challenge me to do things. So there I ended up. That's fantastic. So you're one of those voluntold folk uh, you get told what to do and you say, yes, I'm happy to take that challenge. Well, that's good. You know, a lot of people, when we talk about women getting into the C-suite or women taking leading roles, a lot of times it's about taking something that maybe someone else doesn't want to do or doing, you know, assignments that look, uh, that, that are, that are challenging that, um, you know, that can build the, the portfolio and the experience. So, well, so that leads us to where you are today. So congratulations on your new appointment to the Schlumberger board. Makes a lot of sense uh, to me why you might have been chosen for this uh, particular role. What excites you about this, this new opportunity? So I grew up in the oil and gas business and, uh, and Schlumberger has this fantastic sort of brand in the, in the oil and gas company, no, in, the, in the oil and gas world. Um, it's like their technology, everything they were capable of doing, the successes that they had, but also the people that used to work there. Every time uh, I came across someone um, who had the Schlumberger experience, you know, who, who was a Schlumberger alumina, you realize that they, they knew how to work. I think Schlumberger is an excellent school in terms of making people understand how to do good jobs. You know, it's it's the quality, it's the productivity of the people there. So when I initially was approached about this opportunity, it was like me, you know, on the board of Schlumberger. I felt it was an enormous honor. In addition to that, it's also great to actually have experience on the board of a major, you know, U.S. listed entity, because there are big differences. I mean, being listed on the stock, uh, New York Stock Exchange is different. You know, you have it's it's more regulations, it's it's more scrutiny. There's other tasks at hand. It carries more weight, you know. So for me, it's partly being able to contribute, hopefully, because I know the business, and partly also being able to learn. And throughout my career, I, you know, that balance is is great. You know, yes, you you go in and you do a job, hopefully, um, creating value for your stakeholders, your owners, or your colleagues. But you also develop your own sort of knowledge. And I think that combination is always fantastic. Well, I'm glad that they uh, appointed you to the board. I think that it's, first of all, it's great to see women joining boards, particularly of oil and gas firms, given uh, the fact that we're in this energy transition. And it's good that my daughter and myself, uh, we have uh, role models like yourself. So uh, (laughs) thank you. Speaking of which, you know, we talk about the energy transition and given that you have spent your entire life in the patch, as they call it, what role do you see oil and gas playing in this transition? It's a sticky topic here in the U.S., um, as you know, 
Um, I'm curious about your personal view on how you see oil and gas um, evolving through um, and and being a the, the part it plays in this transition. Mm. Well, that's it's it's almost like the million dollar question, you know, uh, what is actually happening to the oil and gas industry as we, you know, move into or through this energy transition. And you can look at it from a investor perspective. You can look at it from, um, you know, uh, an employee, someone working in the oil and gas uh, industry. But you sit in Texas and I sit in, in Norway, you know, and we are in many ways oil and gas states. I mean, this is very important to us. This is where people work. This is um, our history. These are enormous values to us. So at one hand, we need to make sure that values are not destroyed um, unwillingly. And on the other hand, we need to make sure that the oil and gas company uh, gradually, you know, uh, becomes maybe something else. The oil and gas industry and oil and gas as energy um, is here to stay for many years, but it's how you actually attract investments, how you uh, attract capital into your companies. That's, uh, you know, a huge challenge. Uh, You can look at what happened to the, the coal industry. I mean, the coal industry is still an enormous industry, but it's not the darling of, of the stock markets anymore. You know, it's it's making that wise sort of transition gradually at the right pace, uh, making sure that you have money uh, coming into your company, making sure that you can um, attract um, new shareholders and you can pay dividend. Why you create also uh, maybe a second leg or a third leg, uh, which is more about energy generally more about um, utilizing your technology and um, and uh, so so you have Texas and you have Norway and then you have all these other states that are going to produce you know oil and gas for a long time um, so the hardest thing is maybe being a listed oil and gas company because you know the investor market is uh, a challenging market to be in absolutely. Well, so let's talk a little bit about um, some of the recent announcements. Schlumberger recently announced a new technology venture in the, for the formation of Genvia. Is that correct? Genvia. What is the goal behind this new system? Can you tell us more? So, so Schlumberger has um, set up uh, a you know, an activity which they uh, call new energy. And they are looking into how they can uh, use their competences and technology to find a a foothold in new energy systems. And this particular one is about hydrogen. So um, they have uh, um, entered into a partnership. It will happen initially in France. So they have a, a, a partnership, uh, and it is um, about, um, uh, as I said, um, production of hydrogen. And they believe that they have technology that is competitive uh, to all the other uh, technologies out there making green hydrogen. And of course, the, one of the challenges of producing 
hydrogen, which can then actually uh, function as either feedstock or uh, or energy for hard to abate industries or the electrification of the society, is that we need to be able to do this economically. So the efficiency uh, of the electrolyzers and all of that is super important. And that is why research development technology plays a big role. And of course, this is this is very much, you know, hardcore Schlumberger. They know how to develop technology and utilize technology. So they have this in hydrogen and they're looking into other sort of technology pockets where they believe that they will um, have an advantage and something to actually contribute with. Excellent. Thanks for that. So I'm curious, you know, I always uh, get to pick on foreigners who are not Americans when it comes to political views. What are your thoughts on the newly elected Biden administration and their role on clean energy? I mean, so so I sit here in, in Norway being European and we see it's easy. And even, you know, when we have discussions, I mean, the, the, the board of Schlumberger is a, is a very international board. So we come from all parts of the world. I know that, you know, things look different in different parts of the world. So we sit in, in Europe and talk about the energy transition. And since we, both of you and I, you know, we, we belong to the oil and gas industry, you can see how the European supermajors, the the totals and the BPs, you know, maybe have a slightly different approach to how to adapt to the energy transition than some of the super majors that are more American-based, like Chevron, like ExxonMobil, and so forth. And I think we see it's a bit, a, a bit the same in, in politics. So, you know, I, I don't particularly want to say a lot of things about other countries' you know, political system, but I guess the tendency, in a way, is that we we Europeans um, we we like Biden, you know, we we like uh, you know climate friendly politics, and uh, even though I'm Norwegian, you know, so we have debates about what to do in terms of um, opening for acreage for exploration versus not doing it, you know, banning things or or let the business deal with this itself. Which are topics that we also have in Norway and the political debate in Norway. So what I may say about you know the, the new administration is that we I personally appreciate the international cooperation. Um, it seems to be more open to whether that is you know the, the European uh, countries or Europe generally or um, other parts of the world. You know, I, I believe in globalization. I believe in corporations between uh, different countries. So, so to me, this is good news. Excellent. So, you know, obviously then you support the re-entry on Paris, which I think there's broad support for that actually in America. I just read something not too long ago that showed that regardless of party, most Americans are happy to see the re-entry into the Paris Agreement. So you think there needs to be more international collaboration um, on energy policy? How might how might we do that? Who, who might who might need to get more involved? <laughs> I guess we all need to get more involved. If you have 
ask me about this. First of all, I, I, I actually worked in Paris, you know, when the Paris Agreement was signed. I mean, for me, this is a big milestone type of thing, you know. I was super optimistic when when um, uh, the deal was um, was made, and you know everything that happened before that, and also afterwards. And of course, now there will be a new climate summit and new things coming up. Five years ago, I would have talked about like a global um, global tax on CO two. You know, now I think it's more like it's better that we everyone does something even though we don't manage to implement one global tax for uh, co2 so so i think you will see regional differences we have the european system i think there will be a system in the us you know and and even if we could have hoped for one global sort of fair business environment deal for that you know that that these international com- uh, companies could have dealt with everywhere, that's not going to happen. But we need to continue to work together. And I think we, I mean, the understanding of what we need to do is growing enormously. And I think that the sentiment around this is actually moving faster than what I have would have thought five years ago. But if I discuss um, the energy transition with someone um, who may have a slightly different view than me, I think we all agree about the direction, but we may disagree about the pace. You know, how how quickly are these things going to happen? When I think about the Paris Agreement, December 2015, you look at it today, I always, you know, quite often I question myself, has this moved very quickly or are we disappointed that it's not moving faster? Uh, and I think it's a bit of both, you know. But it takes time to change something as fundamental as uh, a global energy system. Uh, and that's what we had. I mean, one of the beauties of the, the oil, in, in a way, is that the, the market for oil was global. It's a global commodity. We have all the infrastructure around this. And, you know, it takes an enormous amount of time and money to change these things for something completely different. No, so well put. So any thoughts on um, global energy into the future? You know, the major trend is that everything is going to be electrified. You know, I think it's like, you know, electrification, electrification everywhere that you, you look. I think that's the sort of the real super trend here. I just got my first EV in December. So, and I almost, I almost had to sleep in it um, last week during the <laughs> Texas, uh, the Texas outage, but um, you're right. You're right. It's a big, it's a big trend. It's a very big trend. And that's a big trend, but I mean, it's, it's not only the EVs. I mean, it's industry. Uh, and then of course, now I would say it's almost like a hype around hydrogen uh, because so much effort, so much thought process, so much technology and money is put into hydrogen. And I think the jury is still a bit out, you know, how is hydrogen going to function in the energy system? What are we actually going to use it for? And what are we not going to use it for? But hydrogen as a way of changing hard to abate industries in the steel industry, in the cement industry, you know, all these, all these heavy industry elements 
maybe that's where hydrogen is going to make a real difference. And of course, you have all the you have the fertilizer business, you have all of you know all of these industries that also need to change. So electrification, yes, and more and more renewables, no doubt about it. It's going to be blowing wind and you know solar parks and and then you need to do something about the infrastructure. And of course, it's um, the whole power grid. Um, of course, I mean, so you sit in Texas now, and I'm, you know, we may be worried about the grid, but but even going forward, I mean, more and more emphasis is going to be put on the grid, the regulation of the grid, but also the intelligent when, way of operating grids, you know. Uh, and then you have hydrogen, and then you have many other technologies, I think, that is going to either clean up or pop up because the world is changing. It's it's actually it's actually a bit like let's say it's a bit like the you know unconventional in the US. I mean, where did it come from? Suddenly it just happened, you know. And it was, I think it was because the oil price was so high, you know, suddenly you realize you can produce it differently. Uh, because you know, people actually would pay you for that. And then the cost came down and it became, you know, I like to say the shale oil revolution, because it was a bit of a revolution when it happened. And I think we're going to see similar things, you know, new things that we, you and I, cannot see today, but it's it's going to pop up because the energy system is changing and therefore we can do things differently. There's a big debate about CCS, you know, carbon capture and storage. Is it going to happen? Is it not going to happen? How big is it? Is it just a intermediate solution or is it for the for the long run again probably quite important for hard to abate industries uh, yeah plenty of things and and since you mentioned that initially I mean I'm in the uh, I'm now in um, working with the startup that is um, trying to create this circular economy around car tri- car tires you know so you have all all those things happening in parallel, you know, where circular economy is suddenly super important, whether that is for second generation synthetic fuels, for biofuels, but also for products. Awesome. Okay. Final question. I want you to think back to young Maria getting off to her start in her career. What would you tell a young person, maybe a woman who's in oil and gas? about the future? What would you tell young people? Um, what, what advice would you have um, for them as they enter this, this new space uh, around energy that we're facing? If I were, um, you know, that's a difficult, that, that is a difficult question. But I think it's, if you start to work for a big corporate, you know, you, you quite often you get the opportunity to move around and work on different subjects on different type of industry you know and new opportunities will come up and companies will change so one of the advice i would give to young people is that when you start your career you have to realize that you probably have to change your careers multiple times it's not only you know the first first job you have but you are you are going to actually change your career several times during your life and the more you know, the more 
flexible and agile and positive you are, uh, the better you're going to do. Excellent. Thank you so much for joining us today on the Voices of Energy. We're so glad to have you and congratulations on the amazing success you've had. It's just great to hear your insights and I cannot wait until COVID is over. So you will be getting to Houston at some point, which means we will get to meet in person and not just talk um, virtually. And thank you for all you do. And until next time, we'll say au revoir. Au revoir.